I want to talk to you this morning from the most famous verse in the Bible. Uh, it's John chapter 3, verse 16. And uh, the verse simply says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so I just want to just spend a few minutes talking that through with you and working out what that means for us, really, each one of us. Um, so, okay, let's start with uh, love. What do you love? Hands up if you love chocolate. And most people, most people. Okay, hands up if you love Marmite. Uh, exactly half, funnily enough. Well, you've got to either love it or hate it. There's no in between. You're not allowed to just like it. Okay, hands up if you like steak and kidney pies. Yeah, all the men. Yeah, typical. Here's some things that I love. Kebabs. I love kebabs. Uh, I, well done, I've got a friend. I love, I love lighting fires and poking them all afternoon with a stick. I love doing that. It's a, it's a boy thing. Um, I love watching the rugby, but I've sacrificed it this morning. And of course, I love my wife. And I love my family. But the way that I love them is very, very different. I could just about do without another kebab. Just about. Yes. Intake of breath. But I wouldn't want to do without my wife and my family. But unfortunately, in English, we only have the one word love to describe both of those things. What else do you love? Who loves sweets? Okay. Who loves being here this morning? Some people. <laughs> I'm just testing your arms, actually, because later on, when I've said what I want to say, if you want to respond somehow to God in the message that I'm bringing, that's exactly what I'm going to ask you to do. So I'm just giving you a chance to exercise your arms a bit, make sure they're working, and there's no physical reason holding you back from making a great decision for Jesus. All right, so I'm just testing you out on that one. Anyway, I love those things all very differently. But how about when we're trying to describe God's love and the kind of love that God has for us? Because that's something totally different again. Actually, God's love isn't like the kebab love. It's not even like the family love. It's a whole different order of love altogether. You see, it's God's love, which is somehow unique. God's the initiator. God starts everything. God created the heavens. God created the earth. He did everything. And he's got a depth of love for us, his creation, that we can only begin to, to look at, really. We can't really get into it, because it's so different. Because his love isn't fickle like ours, you know, it kind of changes with the season, or it changes with the flavour. His love's not like that. His love, for us, is much, much, much bigger, broader, longer, deeper. In fact, his love for us extends way, way, way back into deep history. In the Bible it says that actually God loved us before the foundation of the world. So even before he created this planet, he loved you and he loved me. So it's a long-lasting love. And that love's been going on for all eternity. Now somebody described love to, love to me. They defined it like this. Love is the giving of yourself for someone else's benefit. 
I think that's quite a good definition of love, actually. The giving of yourself for someone else's benefit. That means God somehow has always been giving of himself for us, for our benefit, and bringing blessing to us. So God giving himself for us. That's an interesting concept. The Apostle Paul talked about the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me in Galatians. So this is part of God's character, to sacrificially love you and I. And if he's loved us like that since before the foundation of the world, that means he's always, always loved you. He's always been giving of himself to demonstrate his love for you. Now as you look back on your life so far, you may not even have realised that God has had his hand on your life and has been watching over you, and has been blessing you. Now trust me, if you are alive today, which I hope most of you are, God has been loving you. You may never have responded to that love, but God has been loving you, because that's the kind of God that he is. He's held you in the palm of his hand, as someone that he dearly, dearly loves However old you are, or however young you are, doesn't make any difference. God loves you. So it's an immeasurable love. But this verse says, for God so loved, so loved. This kind of love isn't a shallow love. It's not a shallow love. He so loved the world. He so loved you. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you felt really Loved, really loved. Maybe you wise, maybe it was the last time your husband bought you flowers on Valentine's Day. Or the last time you cooked him a lovely meal and you sat and enjoyed it together. Maybe it was the time when somebody really cared for you and helped you through a difficult time. Maybe it was when a friend came alongside you at school and really supported you and helped you. we're honest, all those demonstrations of love are good, but they all wear out. The flowers soon wilt and die. By the end of February, they're looking pretty ropey. The lovely meal that's been cooked is soon eaten, and a few memories may be left, but the thing itself is gone. Even when somebody cares for you and helps you, that period of time is soon over and is soon forgotten. But God's love is very, very different. God's love doesn't run out. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't will. You can't consume God's love and run out of it. When the Apostle Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus, he wanted them to know the immense and inexhaustible nature of God's love. He described it like this. He said, I pray that you may have power, together with all the saints, all the, all the people who have got faith in Jesus, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So he wanted them to know how big God's love was in every single dimension. And I really feel that God wants you to grasp hold of this today. How big his love is. For you is. Okay, he wants you to know today that his arms are wide enough to surround you like the comforting arms of a mother. So if you are in distress, he wants you to know this morning that he can encompass and envelop you and protect you and strengthen you and help you and be your refuge and be your strength. 
He wants you to know that this love is long enough to last you right through this earthly life, into the life to come. So it's not going to run out. He wants you to know that his love is high enough so that you can get a little taste of what heaven is like, even here on the earth. That's what happens when somebody's body is healed. We're getting a little taste of heaven, where there's going to be no pain, no sickness, no disease, no sadness, no sorrow. So we're getting little tastes of heaven. So whenever we experience a healing, we're getting a little glimpse of that. God wants you to know that it's high enough to take us up there. And he wants you to know that the love of Christ is deep enough to reach down and grab hold of you no matter how far you might have fallen. I want you to hear that. Some of us say, I'm just not good enough. I've just messed up too much. You don't know what my life has been like. You don't know how bad I am. The love of God is deep enough to reach down and grab you however far you've fallen today. Do you understand that? Do you get that? So God so loved the world. So, that's how much he loves you. So we're talking about a profound type of love that God has got for you and me. For God so loved. What did he love? God so loved the world. The world. Now we're not talking about the planet here. We're talking about the people. Talking about us and everybody out in Winchester and everybody out in the UK and everybody out in the nations of the world. Talking about people. God so loved the world. Do you know, I find it an amazing and a fantastic mystery, actually, that God loves the world. Let me just explain why. When I was a teenage boy, I went to boarding school. And uh, one lunchtime, when I was probably top end of the school, year 11 type of age, um, it was a lovely sunny afternoon, and I had a dormitory. By the time you get to that age, you have a room of your own. That you, it's got a little desk in it and a little sink in it and a bed in it. It's a bit like a prison cell, really, but nicer. And so there I was, this particular lunchtime. And what I used to, this is a bit sad, I'm making a confession here. I used to quite like, after I'd had my lunch, I used to quite like going up to my room, putting on Radio 4 and listening to the lunchtime news. And that's sad for somebody in year 11. I should have had Radio 1 or something like that on. But no, Radio 4, the news. And there I was on this sunny afternoon. The, the, the kind of curtains were partly drawn and the sun was kind of shining through the fabric. And I was just lying there, just in the warmth, just listening to the radio. And this lad called Sean came in. And Sean jumped on top of me while I was lying there. And on his hand, he had a ring pull from a Coke can. And what he did was he put my, pushed my head down and he gouged out a hole in my cheek. Now, I've, I've only got a little tiny scar there now. Now, I have absolutely no idea why he did it. I hadn't done anything to harm him. He wasn't really the kind of person that was a friend, <laughs> obviously. But he pinned me down and he gouged my face and he drew blood. He's not the kind of person I choose as a friend, really. This is why I find it amazing that God loves the world. Because the world did exactly the same thing 
to Jesus. Men pinned him down when he'd done nothing wrong. They broke his skin when he was beaten again and again. And when they took a crown of thorns and and put it on his head, drawing blood from his scalp. It's not that he deserved it. He'd done nothing wrong. But blood flowed. His body was cut and scarred by the world. This is why I find it an amazing mystery that God loves the world. Because he chose, in spite of that, in spite of the way the world treated him, he chose to continue his unbreakable chain of love towards you and me, in spite of how we treated him. And you know, even as he hung bleeding and dying on the cross, he still, still was vocalising his love for those who were even dividing up his clothes. As he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The world despised and rejected God. They turned their back on him. They ignored him. But God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he chose not to judge us on our performance, Not to judge us on our actions. Not to judge us on how well we're doing or how badly we're doing. He didn't choose to judge us on that. He so loves you and I that he's provided an escape from the punishment that should have been ours for rebelling and rejecting God's Son. You see, when they realised, when the Jews realised that they crucified the Son of God, horror spread amongst them. Brothers, what should we do? How, How can we be saved? We've crucified the Saviour, the Messiah. We've killed him. What can we do? See, they realised what they'd done. And they knew that there would be a heavenly punishment. But God so loved the world that he provided a way for them to escape that punishment. See, the extent of God's love is shown on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave His one and only Son. This is the most incredible gift to us. Now, in 1937, there was a man called John Griffiths, and he managed to get a job uh, looking after one of the large uh, cantilever railway bridges that went across the great Mississippi River. And uh, every day, his job was to work in the, uh, in, in the operating centre that would raise or lower the cantilever bridge so that boats could come up the Mississippi or when it was down so that the mainline trains could cross. And one day he'd taken his eight-year-old boy, Greg, uh, to work with him and they were up in the control room watching the boats, watching the trains, chatting about the day. You know, John Griffiths was telling his son about each of the trains and each of the boats as it passed. And, uh, you know, the morning passed very quickly. And lunchtime soon came. And so they wandered down to the banks of the Mississippi. And they just kind of had a picnic lunch and they were sat there. And the sun was shining and it was a nice day. And very soon the lunch hour was passing. And uh, suddenly John heard a whistle and he looked up and realised that in the distance the Memphis Express 
that was due in at 1.07pm was heading their way, but the bridge was still up. Now, it was okay, because he had time to wander back, so he climbed up onto the catwalk, walked along up to the control centre, and uh, was just about to, to do it. He'd said to Greg, uh, I'm just going to go and lower the bridge for this uh, train to come past. You just stay put here, and I'll come back down as soon as I've done it. So there he is in the control room. He's just about to lower the bridge, and as his procedure is that he always makes one last visual check of the mechanisms under the bridge. And so he looks down, and to his horror, his son Greg, eight years old, has not done as he's told. He's not stayed on the banks of the Mississippi. Instead, he's tried to follow his dad, and he's walked up the catwalk, but slipped and fallen onto the gear mechanism of the bridge. John immediately realises the implications of this. And he has an instant choice to make. Do I leave the bridge up? Go down and rescue my son? Knowing full well that there are 400 people on the Memphis Express? Or do I lower the bridge? so that they can travel safely. And as he buried his head in his arms, he knew he only had one option. Nobody saw his tears as he pulled the lever, knowing that he was sacrificing his son. train crossed. And through his tear-filled eyes, he could see children waving, out the windows, ladies having afternoon tea, gentlemen reading the newspapers. No one had a clue how much it had cost him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God made exactly the same sacrifice for you and for me. His one and only son, his precious offspring, his beloved that had been with him for all eternity. Do you know any other love like that? Do you know anybody else that would do that for you? You see, I don't, and that's why I trusted Jesus with my life. I don't know anybody else that would make such a sacrifice because they love me so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, it's an interesting word, whoever, what does that mean? Well, it means whoever. You're part of whoever. I'm part of whoever. All you guys down here, you're part of whoever. You're a whoever, aren't you? Yeah? We're all whoever. Whoever. We're all human beings, aren't we? So we fit into the category of whoever. We're told in the Bible that Christ gave himself once for all. So whoever, yeah? Whoever. Paul said to Timothy, the man Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all men. All of us. Whoever. That means that today all of us can be rescued. That means today we can all have a relationship with God restored. 
That means today that none of you at all, anywhere, from the ones right up the top at the back to the ones right down the front here, none of us are disqualified. Whoever. It means we're all included. That means that Christ died for all of us. That means if you're under the age of 15, Jesus died for you and has a perfect plan for your future. That means that if you're aged between 15 and 30, Jesus died for you and has a perfect plan for your future. That means if you're aged between 30 and 60, Jesus died for you and has a perfect plan for your future. That means if you're aged between 60 and 90, Jesus died for you and has a plan for your future. That means if you are over 90, Jesus died for you and has a plan for your future. Whoever, whoever, whoever. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or any shade in between. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, a Hindu or an atheist. It doesn't matter if you're well off or struggling. It doesn't matter if you're married or single. It doesn't matter if you're a churchgoer or if you're a pubgoer. It just doesn't matter. Jesus died for you and has a perfect plan for your future. Whoever. So none of us can say this doesn't count for me. Whoever. This is the largest invitation that has ever been given. Whoever. There is one condition for rescue though. There is one condition. There's one thing you do. See, remember the verse again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. So there's an element that comes from us. It's not a big element. It's not a difficult element. (laughs) But it is an element. You see, he didn't want to make it difficult for us. That's why you don't have to jump through lots of hoops to become a Christian. There was only one request from God, and that was that we believe in Jesus. And Jesus wanted children to be able to hear and understand how important they were to him. And he wanted adults to accept the message like children. He didn't want us to complicate it. He wanted us to receive it like children. I tell you the truth, he said, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. He wants us to simplify things. Life is so complicated. I can't even work my phone anymore. You know, I wanted to go to somebody's house yesterday to drop off a friend... I had a satellite navigation system on my phone. Half an hour later, I reverted back to the map I'd drawn in my diary. Life is so complicated. The gospel invitation is not complicated. All we have to do is this. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It really isn't any more complicated than that. If you can confess with your mouth, that means if you can say, yep, I'm prepared to say Jesus is the boss. He's in charge. He's the one that is the master. Actually, he knows better than me. That takes some humility. took me about six months to work out that Jesus was Lord. I kept trying to be my own boss. Kept trying to do things my way and kept falling and failing. Maybe you're in that cycle of repetitive falling right now. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. All you've got to do is say, I want him to be my Lord. I want him to lead me. I want him to be the boss of my life. 
I want him to be in charge. Because if he genuinely has got a perfect plan for your life, it does make just a little bit of sense to follow it, doesn't it? It's a bit of a no-brainer, really, isn't it? When you think about it, I think, do I follow God's plan, the one who made everything and knows everything, knit me together in my mother's womb, knows every day allotted to me, and has a perfect plan for my life? Do I go with that? Or shall I try and make it up myself? Clever old me. I've had 16 years of education. I've got GCSEs, don't you know? Come on. Make Jesus your Lord. He's God. It makes sense. So what did Paul say? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So this is quite an important bit. What I'm saying is part of becoming a Christian, part of having Jesus as Lord, is an acknowledgement actually that he's a little bit unusual. I don't know you, about you, but I think it's quite an unusual thing for somebody to be raised from the dead. Don't you? And it does take faith to believe it. Because every rational bone in your body says, dead men lie down. This dead man didn't lay down. Well, he did for a little while, three days. And then he got up again. And people saw him, people touched him, people felt him, people poked him. He ate food, he talked to people. 500 people at one time saw him alive after he'd been crucified and buried. There's loads of evidence for it. But we still need to take that step of faith and say, okay, I'm going to believe that a man who is God can be raised from the dead. You see, because that opens up a whole new doorway for you and I. And it offers rescue for us. So all we need to do is say with integrity, okay, I'm going to have Jesus as my Lord. I want him to lead me from now on. It doesn't matter what's happened before, but from today, I'm going to have Jesus in charge. And I'm prepared, in this moment right now, to believe that a man is alive in heaven. And that God has actually raised somebody from the dead. There's an important reason why you need to believe that. And it's the last part of this verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. You see, this just isn't about you making a life choice today. You know, what, what fashions to follow, that's a life choice, isn't it? What labels to wear, what bands to listen to, that's a life choice. What car to drive, that's a life choice, isn't it? I could choose this one, I could choose that one. What career to choose, that's a life choice. Who to marry, that's a life choice. But whether or not to believe in Jesus is not a life choice. It's the life choice. Let me just expand that. God makes choices. He might have chosen today to be your day of rescue. But I want you to understand what you're being rescued from. You see, the option and the alternative are very, very different. The option to choose Jesus as Lord is a pragmatic, sensible, wise decision to follow Jesus as Lord, if he really is God. The alternative is to be your own God, but the results of being your own God, according to the Bible, is that you will perish. What does that mean, perish? Well, when something perishes, I mean, you've all had a fruit bowl. It stinks, doesn't it, when it starts perishing. It goes mouldy, it rots, it decays. Is that what you want for your life? Is that the best you can hope for? From today onwards, it's just going to get mouldier. 
But it's, it's even worse than that. Because the kind of perishing that the Bible's talking about is an eternal perishing. It means you don't just rot until you decay. It means you rot and rot and rot and rot and rot and rot. And rot. You know, we're all going to have eternal life. Do you know that? Some of us are going to have eternal life with God. Some of us are going to have eternal life rotting. It's not a life choice. Hell is real. It's a separation from God. Which means you're separated from warmth, from friendship, from love, from hope, from joy, from celebration, from laughter. Why would anybody willingly choose that when there's an option to choose rescue? I want you to hear this so clearly. I don't want any of you going there. From the youngest to the oldest. If I have one job on planet earth to give my life to, it is to tell you that hell is there, hell is real, but Jesus offers rescue. I want you to hear that today because you can receive rescue today. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. You don't have to rot. If you believe in him, if you believe in his death, if you believe in his resurrection, if you make him your Lord, you then do not perish. It's good stuff. The Christians are happy that they chose to be Christians. I can tell you that. I haven't met many Christians that have said, oh, that was the toughest decision I ever made. I don't know about you, I just haven't met them yet. Don't perish. Instead, what do you get? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about death really, what it's going to be like. It's not something we tend to dwell on in our culture. We've got a funny repressive kind of thing about death, haven't we? Because it's so full of uncertainty and doubt. We don't like to talk about death very much. We get upset when people die and it makes us feel very, very sad. It makes us feel very uh, vulnerable. It can upset our family life. You know, what, what's going to happen to me when I die? What's going to happen to you when we die? It's a question we all need to be able to answer because it's a very big question. And God wants you to be able to answer that question with integrity and with certainty. You see, for a Christian, death is not so final. Death is not the end. Death is like a, an entry into the next phase of the adventure. Death is like going through from, uh, from a, well, C.S. Lewis described it as this life is a bit like the cover page and the title of a book. But when we go into eternity, it's like every chapter we read gets better and better and better, every one we read, and it goes on. This is just the beginning, but I'm not scared of death. I know full well that if I lay down in my bed tonight and I die, I am absolutely 100% certain I will be with my Lord and with my King. The one who loves me more deeply than my own wife or mother. The one who demonstrated that devotion by taking the nails for me. The one who I can trust because I know he didn't stay there, but he broke off and he rose to new life. So I know that he's in heaven and I know that he's got a place for me there because he has promised it. That's good. But you need to receive the rescue by believing it for yourself. It's not good enough for you just to say, I went to church. It's not good enough for you to grow up just being in a Christian family. Being in a Christian family won't get you to heaven. Okay? It just won't get you there. You need to decide for yourself. Do I believe in Jesus? Is he my Lord? 
Do I believe God raised him from the dead? If I can say that, yes, then I today can put my hand up and say, I want to receive eternal life. See, it's not good enough being English. It's a big lie. Everybody thinks, oh, if we're English, we must be Christian. It's not true. It's not true. Even in Winchester. <laughs> Living in Winchester does not make you a Christian. <laughs> Having Church of England on your birth certificate doesn't make you a Christian. Trusting in Jesus who died on the cross for you, saying, yes, I want him to be my Lord because he's raised from the dead and I want eternal life. That is what makes you a Christian. So where are you this morning then? What are you choosing this morning? And my eternal life began back in 1992 when I suddenly realised I'd been a complete idiot. I tried to do it my way and I failed miserably. The minute I realised God had got a perfect plan for my life, I said, okay, come on then, let's try that. And from that moment, God has been with me. I've known his closeness. I don't care if I die because I will be... In glory. But you have to know that there is a place in heaven for you too. And you have to be certain that you have done the deal. You've done the deal with Jesus. Have you done the deal with Jesus? Have you asked him for forgiveness? All that separates you from him for the wrong things you've done. Because at the moment you still stand guilty. Have you asked him for forgiveness? Have you trusted in the cross that on the cross he paid the price for everything you've said, everything you've done, everything you've thought that's gone against God. Because that's what he did. And when he said, it is finished, he was talking about dealing with your sin. It's finished. I've destroyed it forever in my own body. And it doesn't matter how young you are. And it doesn't matter how old you are. If you've done the deal, you go to heaven. If you haven't done the deal, you don't. I can't put it more simple than that. Do you understand that? So it's not a life choice. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish. Don't rot. Instead, choose eternal life. Choose eternal life. Now, I think at the beginning of this meeting, when I was asking you whether you like chocolate or not, I think most people were able to raise a hand, even those that have got damaged shoulders. What I want to ask you now is, have you got the courage to raise your hand for the important thing? To receive eternal life. Just take a measure of courage, because there's a measure of admitting that you might have got things wrong so far. But today, I just want you very simply to be alive to the fact that Jesus loves you, and he's offering you rescue today. Here in Winchester Family Church is the day that God earmarked for you to hear this message and for you to respond. So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. And this is what I'm going to suggest, just so that you know how to respond. When I ask a question about chocolate, you can put your hand up, can't you? I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour? And do you want to swap death for life? Do you want to swap perishing for eternity with him? 
And I felt God speaking to me. And I want you to keep your heads down and keep your eyes shut because I want you to hear whether God is speaking to you. I felt young people, God wanted to speak to you today and wanted some of you to know that he loves you and that he wants to rescue you today. So this is not just for the grown-ups. And I felt as I was praying, God speaking to me about marriage and remarriage. And by this, when you become a Christian, it's a bit like you become married in, in that you begin a really lovely relationship with God, with Jesus. But I also felt about remarriage. And I felt that there were some that God wanted to say, okay, you may have been a Christian a while, but you've not been living with me like you would, should do in marriage. You, we've not been sharing life together. You've been a long way off. There's been a distance between you and I. And I feel that today you may have caught something more of God's love for you. And God wants to say, come on, I want, to get, I want us to get back together again. So this is about people making a decision to receive eternal life. And it's also about people saying, God, I want you right at the centre. I want a close relationship with you like we were meant to have. You'll know which one is appropriate for you. But in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. So if you're wanting to begin a relationship with Jesus... You want me to receive eternal life. I want you to be courageous. I don't want you to let fear or doubt crowd in your mind. If that's you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count down from five to zero. When I get to zero, all I want you to do is very simply just raise your hand where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you out to the front. I'm not going to do anything to undermine this moment between you and God. But I do want to pray for you. So are you ready to respond? Whether you need to get your life back right with God or whether you need to receive eternal life for the first time. Are you ready to raise your hand? Don't let anything stop you. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Well done. Well done. One person, two person, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. 20, 21, 22, 23, 23 people at the moment, 24, thank you. Any other people, 25, thank you. I'm just going to wait for a moment because you know that you've got to do business with God. 26, is there anybody else? 27, sorry I missed you up the back there, 27. I'm just going to leave a moment. 28, 29, 30. Are you 30 people? Just pop your hands down for a moment. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. And this is a prayer that you can either use to commit your life to Jesus for the very first time, or as you saying, I want to get back with Jesus. I want to put him first. Lord Jesus, you say it with me in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you that you loved me so much that you died on the cross in my place. Thank you that when you died, you paid the price for all of my wrong thoughts, my wrong words and my actions. And thank you that now... I'm forgiven and free. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in your death. 
And I believe that you rose again. And I believe that I'm now going to live forever with you. So please, right now, come into my life. Let this relationship be close and strong and intimate. And let me follow you today and every day so that my life brings glory to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's raise our heads again. What I want to encourage you to do Okay, if you've made a response today, okay, what I'd like you to do is this. There are people in the church here that will help you. If it was one of the young people, then your Sunday school teachers, your kids club leaders, your Brook Street kids leaders, they will help you and talk through with you what that means, okay, and just pray for you. If you're not one of the youngsters, maybe one of the youth group, you could talk to your youth leaders. Please make sure you speak to them and connect with them before you leave today. And if you're a visitor today and you made a responsible part of the church today, what I'd encourage you to do is chat to one of the team. What we're going to do is, I'm going to invite people that are sick. We're going to close the meeting in a moment. But I'm going to invite people that are sick to come up to the front here. But also, I'd like to invite anybody who made a response today. I want to urge you, really, to get some help, to get some follow-up so that people can continue to support you and pray for you. Okay, so I want you to be bold. I can't go out and grab you all. Okay, this is about you doing it. I didn't want to embarrass you. It's quite a big building to make a move and come to the front in. It might have been easier if I'd done that, but I think I just felt I didn't want to, you know, kind of embarrass you. But I do want you to take a step of faith and talk to somebody today.